Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast, where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. Hope you are. I am doing good. And, and, you know, for the last several weeks, we've talked about the vice president not going to the border, but we have some breaking news. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. You haven't been to the border. You haven't been to the border. We are going to the border. So now the vice president's going to the border. And guess what caused that to happen? <laughs> 45. Donald Trump. They had to beat Trump to the border. And he was planning to go next week. Yep. It's unbelievable mm. how he triggers these people. It really is. He, he talking about living rent free in people's minds. The former president. Well, I guess if that's uh, what it takes, you know, uh, yeah. get the the border czar to actually visit the border, we'll solve that's this right. problem. That's exactly right. Whatever it takes, you know. I mean, who knows what good will come from it? But it, but at least he's going down there. So the other breaking news, which occurred literally just a few moments ago, was. Uh, uh, President Biden came out and gave a speech with the attorney general about the nation's crime problem and uh, basically came down to what they want to do about guns. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting is that why is the president speaking about this? Because the Democrats see that there is a political liability in the fact that crime is skyrocketing across the country. Yeah, they sort of learned that last night in the New York mayor mayoral primary. The most uh Police-friendly candidate led, even though not with a large percentage of votes. Anyway, listening to Garland and listening to the president, they're talking about basically uh, crack down on rogue gun dealers and, and disrupting illegal gun trafficking, providing some more funding for cities and counties. There wasn't one discussion about the riots last year. There was no discussion about the fact that the vice president was bailing people out. Uh, there was no discussion about supporting the police, even. That surprised me. Uh, and then he pushed Chipman for his position with ATF and wants to do more research about gun violence as a public health issue and, and smart gun technology. It was all your standard liberal talking points. Blame uh, gun owners, blame honest citizens, and don't do anything about the criminals. And I'm sure he didn't mention the horrific shooting that was captured on video in Chicago over the weekend. Did you see that? Basically like an ambush. They blocked this car in and pulled yeah. people out. And as best I can tell, it or sounds like it was sort of a gang on gang situation, but it's still, and that, that lady died yesterday. Um, so you know, those two little kids are orphaned. You know, Lori Lightfoot is worried about renaming Lakeshore Drive instead of the Mogadishu-like violence that occurs in Chicago on a daily basis and blames the guns as, as they are wont to do. And I heard, I haven't confirmed this yet, but I heard that um, Merrick Garland was uh, suggesting that the increase in crime uh, since February was related to just the normal increase in crime that occurs every summer. Well, I I, they, did, they did more than just suggest that. I mean, he talked about Garland and actually wrote that down. He said this increase in 2020 and into 2021 is deeply troubling. Uh, Biden specifically said 
he talked about the normal summertime increase in crime, just like this is a tradition. Right. And, and of course, February, March, April, May, and now June is not summertime. And I guess we had the first day of summer. Was it Saturday? But the, the rest of it, you know, is, is not summer. And, and <clears throat> it's time for wood that we had uh, a rich and robust and vigorous journalistic class to hold these people's feet to the fire with all these ridiculous and contradictory statements that they make and time and time again. Well, we could only hope for such. Yeah. Um, you know, Biden gave the standard language about troubled teens being out for the summer, and it was almost like a speech about midnight basketball again. Did he mention uh, corn pop? Them, or? He, he didn't mention corn pop tonight, no. Anything about his, his leg hairs as when he was a lifeguard? No, thank goodness. Nothing on that. So, you know, what we're seeing is, and frankly, Garland and Biden look pretty bad just physically about during this event. But, you know, it's, it's your standard issue. The Democrats are turning to talk about crime because they see it as a political liability, but they're not going to blame uh, criminals for it. They're not going to lock anybody up. And, the, and, the, and the, the Biden administration continues to dismiss federal charges against the riders from from the previous year while they hold uh, folks from January the 6th in custody and in, in solitary confinement. Yet again, we have another example of two systems of justice, you know, one for the liberals and one for everybody else. So that was Biden's discussion about crime today, but he used to take a different tack. Here's some audio of him not that long ago with how he thought we should deal with criminals. Every time Richard Nixon, when I was running in 1972, would say law and order, the Democratic mantra, the response was law and order with justice, whatever that meant. And I'd say lock the SOBs up. He didn't talk anything about locking up the SOBs today. No, I didn't. You know, the other big news this week has to do with a couple of Supreme Court cases in the last few days, one of them involving uh, college sports. I know you're a college, uh, big college sports fan, so am I. What do you think about that? Well, that was a most interesting case. I, 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 it's been a while since I enjoyed reading a Supreme Court case as much as I, as I enjoy that one. I, I, I guess I had several, um, several thoughts. Uh, first, you know, I think that uh, the, 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 um, the Kavanaugh opinion concurrence is just fascinating. Uh, he all but invites a plaintiff or plaintiffs to bring a lawsuit uh, over what I would characterize as, you know, amateur status. And, and he ends his opinion with the line that the NCAA is not above the law. And I, I think that's right. And I think his um, in the court's analysis with regard to what the NCAA was was trying to do in this case is correct. I, you know, I'd, I don't um, I think the college's through the presidents and athletic directors on the NCAA, they may have become so greedy that they killed the goose that laid the golden egg. You know, they limited this case um, to to basically this this uh, educational assistance, which uh, breaks down to tutoring and computers and things like that. The NCAA probably should not have appealed it. Um, they should have left it alone. But but uh, apparently, the rumors of their arrogance are not exaggerated, and they. They litigated this, and now they've got they've got a mess, and they're scrambling to find to find an answer. 
Um, just to be clear, you know, what you just said is that the court didn't say that colleges have to pay players, but it did talk about these education-related benefits, which are like a subset of uh, financial assistance, I guess. Is that how you yeah, read it? That's the way I read it. It's, it's, a, it's not pay. It's just part of what you need to get through school, not unlike books or tuition or, or those kinds of things. And 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 but interestingly, one of the other examples of the educational assistance was um, scholarships for grad school and and technical school um, for for student athletes who've used up their eligibility. They, they talked about these enormous funds that the NCAA has set up uh, to help uh, student athletes with all kinds of expenses, really um, just enormous sums of money, which you know is a good thing. I think one of the the troubling pieces of this is this. They call it NIL, which is um, name, name, image, and likeness. Uh, right, and and it, it's been green light, uh, green lighted for players to to sell that, for lack of a better word. Um, and um, you know that 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 seems to be in some people's minds a panacea. I, I tend to think that um, the best of the best maybe can can make some money on that but you know your standard offensive tackle even at division one I mean it, it's just you know it's not going to amount to much and but but what I think is going to happen is the the the, the bigger conferences are going to you're going to pass a rule or rules that allow pay, players to get paid and you're going to have a bidding war um, and there's not going to be any way to regulate this, keep control over it, keep transparency, none of that. And it's, I just worry that it, that the colleges have allowed their obsession with the almighty dollar from television to just to destroy uh, college athletics um, as we know it and enjoy it. And, you know, it's, it's not professional. It's not supposed to be. And it loses, in my mind at least, some of its luster if it becomes a professional Support and then again, as as they the the uh, Supreme Court pointed out in their opinion, you're talking about the FBS subdivision of Division One football and then Division One basketball, but really a, a much smaller subset of Division One basketball. That is the the you know the top say 30 schools or so probably, um, and and you know I mean women's golf and swimming and softball and even baseball. As I note that the uh, College World Series game tonight has started, um, th there's not a lot of money to be made there for for these for these kids. Um, so it's it's going to be fascinating to watch how it plays out and and what the future holds. Well, I had a concern when I read the decision, and, and you know I don't know how you felt about this, but one thing that bothers me about this is that the majority opinion. They talked about historically things that the NCAA have done that aren't consistent with the amateur status of athletes. That's right. And, and yeah, I don't really question that, but I don't really, I don't really feel comfortable with the fact they're using that to hold it against the NCAA for trying to do it the right way. Now, I know some people would say they're not doing it the right way because look how much coaches make and that players don't make that. But college education should matter. And that's that right. should be the, the the most important piece of this. And you don't Ultimately, have to go play college sport. That's right. Know? And, you know, I think one thing that needs to happen is there need to be alternatives for kids who don't 
want to go to college or they're not That's acclimated right. in that way. Maybe they find another way to go pro. But as you said, football, specifically the FBS subdivision and basketball, they bring in all the money. And mostly it's through huge television contracts. Some are on the conference level. Some are on the national level. But that's where all the money is generated. So what's the next step in this? Or, you know, does Alabama get to offer the offensive tackle they want more money than Clemson? That's the concern I have. That, and that's that's coming. I don't think there's any way to stop that at this point. And the interesting thing, you know, getting back to your comment about the, the value of a college education, you know, most of these players get more in return than they provide individually to the universities for their share of whatever the pot is. If you if you crunch the numbers and 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 and, and portion it out, it's the, the, again the the only the creme de la creme arguably not getting as much in return as they are giving. Some of these probably student athletes, but but even some others who you know are seeing dollar signs that probably aren't there. They're probably not the the type of money they want from the colleges. But then if you get into this name image likeness, you know, what if they go down and do, uh, you know, a billboard for the local car dealership or they, you know, the Alabama quarterback puts his picture on the uh, front page of some video game. I I can't even tell you what they are other than Madden, which I guess is NFL. There are those opportunities out there, not to mention the sneakers and the T-shirts and all of that. And those are going to direct where kids go to play school uh, or go to play ball. Absolutely. They are. You know, that, that things like that used to happen all the time. It, it wasn't so blatant as, as a, as an advertisement, but it was a summer job. Um, the, the big, the big, the big schools and their, their donors would have summer jobs for student athletes who performed well or that they wanted to, to, to come to school there and they didn't work and they got paid handsomely. And it was, it was not your typical college summer job. And the NCAA cracked down on that as a result. And I think rightly so. Um, but it seems to me that there's not much difference in the, the fake summer job. And we're going to put you on this billboard and we really don't care whether or not it generates the marketing impact that we hope because it's a way to funnel money. To, to the players that we want to funnel money to. Uh, you know, it's, it's problematic. And, and just today, the NCAA president set a date of July. They're going to try to come up with interim rules to allow college athletes to be paid. So uh, they, I guess they see the handwriting on the wall for what the next lawsuit would bring. And they're just trying to move it forward. And, yeah. and six of the major conferences, the Power Six, they're asking federal legislation to resolve this. And I wonder if what Congress will do. It'll be interesting to watch. I clearly don't think Congress would give them any sort of antitrust exemption. So, I, you know, I don't see that you're going to get a bipartisan support for much out of Congress. No. Other I, than uh, giving more benefits to players. Yeah, and I don't think they should. I mean, I think they should should uh, do away with the antitrust exemption that, they, uh, that the court gave baseball, you know, what, basically 100 years ago. And because uh, it clearly affects interstate commerce and it is a monopoly and there's – a part of, I guess, my my libertarian streak that says, you know, if, if people want to make money by using and harnessing their skills, they ought to be able. On the other hand, there's a route for that that doesn't include college. You know, it, it's the going pro and, and, um, 
and, and calling yourself a professional and, and taking that risk. So it's, um, I'm somewhat torn. Well, you know, while I can recognize and understand your libertarian streak there, and I may agree on certain things, I don't agree on this. I, I think if someone wants to make money, go make money. And right. uh, I would like to see all the professional leagues offer opportunities and developmental leagues and whatever they need to do for kids not to have to go to college. But I think right. if you make that choice to go to college, you should be an amateur while you're in college and your focus ought to be getting some type of valid degree. And, and you know, the, the NBA has the the age limit of what 19 um and and there's been some controversy about that because you can't you can't turn pro at 18 and enter the NBA draft you have to this 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 year before you can before you can do that and you know that's a problem it seems to me that's a that's a pretty egregious antitrust issue itself so that you know these kids that don't want to go to college can can make themselves available and head to the G League if if they're not quite up to uh, you know, the NBA caliber player. Um, of course, you know, when you look at the numbers of people that make the NBA on an annual basis, it's it's minute. Back when I was in college, uh, this would have been in 87 or 88 or so. I, I had the opportunity to to go and, and see Dean Smith speak one night when he was the head basketball coach. And one of the things he talked about was he didn't like the fact that they had advertisements during the games for beer companies when the kids who were playing the games weren't old enough to drink. Yeah, and, and there's, a, I, there's a lot of logic to that. Uh, but it's those type of advertising contracts that now just pump so many millions and hundreds of millions of dollars into the NCAA and their institutions. Did you see the uh, the statistic? I guess it was in the decision somewhere. I don't have it at hand, but that the... Uh, now, a coach was the highest paid employee in something like 40 states of the country. It's um, And I've seen a map within recent months, maybe on Twitter, where they have the highest paid public employee in each state listed on the map. It, it, it's eye opening when you see that in most states, basketball coach or football coach and only in a certain number of the smaller states where there's no big time athletic program. Is it the dean of the medical school or whatever? And I don't begrudge the coaches. I mean, you know, they, they you're going to get fired. You know that going in, in, the, in most cases. So make what you can while you can. But these these contracts where these coaches are getting $15 million because they get fired. I mean, it's unbelievable. I take that job. Please fire me, you know. Um, well, yeah, those uh, those golden parachutes or whatever yeah. they're called, those are a problem. But, you know, the, the issue is there's so much money. If, if a coach can go from a school that won four out of 12 games one season and he gets um, another four wins the next year, that school is going to make so much more money. How can he not say, hey, look, I deserve a piece of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd do the same thing if I were in their shoes. But it is obscene. Um, that 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 amount of money for playing a, a game that you know college athletics was designed to give an outlet to students and to provide entertainment for students, and it's become the sacred cash cow higher education in this country. Yeah, you know, one quote from the Kavanaugh uh, concurring opinion. He said, "Traditions alone cannot justify the NCAA's decision to build a massive money-raising enterprise on the backs of student athletes who are not fairly compensated." 
And, you know, I think I have two concerns about that. While I understand what he's saying, one concern is fair compensation. And if they're getting college degrees and they're getting the opportunity to play on a large stage where people see them and give them other opportunities, not to mention just broadening experiences for some of the Olympic sports, that's pretty good compensation, even though you can't always put a dollar value on it. It is. Uh, the other thing, though, is that this massive money-raising enterprise is supporting all those sports that don't bring in any revenue. Absolutely, and, it is. And if you if you want to limit that, if you want to limit that massive money-raising enterprise, then what's going to happen to those sports, whether it's golf or lacrosse or whatever it is at schools where they don't bring in any money? They're going by the wayside. There's so much to talk about here. I mean, I was I was reading about the, the LSU's search for a new baseball coach because their coach retired. And they're paying him $1.3 million a year. And they're willing to pay maybe even two. two I, I read that perhaps they offered the Tennessee coach $2.1 million night before last, but doesn't sound like he's going to take the job. But they were pointing out baseball has 11.7 scholarships in NCAA Division One, And you can have, I think it's 24, maybe it's 23, 24, 25 players on a roster. So most of those kids don't get a whole lot in terms of scholarship money. But at LSU, if you are a graduate of a Louisiana public high school and you have, air quotes, good grades, which has been defined somewhat different from what most people would consider good grades. Not a 3.0. Um, I'm not sure exactly where the line is drawn, but, but it's, it's very easy. You get free tuition at LSU. So that 11.7 scholarship limit goes much farther at LSU than it does at some other schools. Uh, and then you, you, you throw in at Vanderbilt, they're, they're, um, uh, as you know, playing in the College World Series and the, the private schools have all the scholarship money available academic scholarships, need-based scholarships, whatever, that the public schools don't have. So they can stretch their scholarship dollars, uh, their athletic scholarship dollars, even further. So, you know, even when you when you get down to the school level and you try to compare, it's, it's not apples to apples. And it's just an enormous cash cow. Uh, and it seems like lots of folks have their hands uh, out. But as you said, the court pointed out, not the players. And I, again, I, I agree with you. I don't, I'm not terribly offended by that because you know what you're doing going into it. And again, an opportunity to, to play professionally, even though statistics say you won't, that's what it's about. As you said, there are experiences, there's travel, there's friendships, competition, you know, all those kinds of things that are hard to, to, to quantify but, but are clearly tangible benefits in addition to an education and oftentimes a fine education and a fine school that having simply that degree would open a lot of doors for people. And, and oftentimes there's people that otherwise would not have uh, such a college degree and, you know, the networking opportunities and so forth that come from that too. So some of it is what a student athlete makes of the experience, but you know, I have, I have a feeling before football season starts, there's going to be an entire set of new rules. I agree, and I think it's going to be conference. I think the conferences will drive this, you know, particularly yeah. the, the 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 Big Ten, the SEC, um, the ACC, because they have the money from the from the 
football playoff, and and also you know they have a, I guess a larger share of the uh, basketball tournament money. So we'll keep watching college sports. Uh, yeah, I guess we all wanted to be the way it used to be, but uh, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. So yeah, that's not the only big Supreme Court case this week. There was one today, just uh, also involving an athlete, a high school athlete. And uh, free speech issues. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I, th- I thought that was quite interesting. Fourteen-year-old girl is told by the cheerleading coach that she needs to spend a year on the junior varsity, and apparently some others of her same age and she believed same skill level were not uh, required to spend a year on the junior varsity, and she filmed or had a friend film, or maybe they filmed together a selfie or something where they were shooting the bird to the camera and said, you know, F school, F cheerleading, things like that, and put it on Snapchat. And one of their colleagues or fellow students screenshot it, turned it into the cheerleading coach who, who then, uh, along with the, the principal, I suppose, um, suspended her from the JV cheerleading squad for a year. Her parents asked that they discipline be rescinded under uh, the notion that it was free speech. It happened off campus um, and it really was not, I guess the right word would be broadcast widely and the school refused. And so the, the parents on behalf of the daughter filed a lawsuit and the federal and district. They, and no indication that they washed her mouth out with soap. Instead, they took it to court. <laughs> That's right. Um, and, and, uh, the district court and the court of appeals both ruled in her favor, but but for different reasons. And her father actually ran for school board. Um, and I think the election, it may even have been yesterday. Anyway, he came in last. And uh, apparently the stance that the school board took in supporting the school was um, appreciated by the voters because uh, they tended to... Uh, I think maybe do better than expected or do better than they had in the past in this election. But it was a very interesting case. I guess it was eight to one. And the Supreme Court said that uh, free speech uh, concerns would prohibit the school's ability to punish the student under these facts and that the, uh, the constitutionally protected interest in free speech trumped the school's ability to, to, to punish. And Justice Thomas dissented in large part because he said that the court did not analyze properly under any sort of standard and did not elucidate a standard. And so, in my words, not his, was opening a can of worms that would be difficult for future cases to be decided by judges because the standards were were simply not there. Under the law, um, there's a concept known as strict scrutiny, and if there is a uh, if there's a law, if there's a provision that Im- impacts on a constitutional right, then the court has to review that using the standard known as st- strict scrutiny. And correct me if I get this wrong, but the the, um, the governmental agency has to show a compelling governmental interest and also nar- narrowly tailored methods to enforce that rule. Is that right? least restrictive means possible. In other words, nothing else will do what needs to be done to serve the compelling interest but this law. If you can and that's kind of the question that the, the court here has kind of left open. What is bad enough that a school, in this case it was a high school, 
can effectively punish a student for something they do that's not on campus. There's some language in prior cases, although, you know, you go back almost to, I mean, to the World War II years, to the West Virginia versus Barnett case, and then Tinker versus Des Moines from the late 60s. Um, it, there has to be some direct link between what the student does off campus and good order and discipline in the schools. I think you can make an argument here that, that there was such a link, and that's what Thomas is complaining about. And he said, you're simply not telling us what that link is and how we should how we should think about it and 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 what we should do and as you know the the theory that allows schools to discipline students is the the legal doctrine of in loco parentis which basically means that from a practical standpoint when kids are at school their parents are not and the school functions as the guardian the the parent the custodian whatever you want to call it and has the ability to enforce discipline and enforce rules and so forth. Um, and, and that doctrine, uh, as originally used, would allow schools to do just about anything that didn't actually violate the criminal law. And, of course, over the, the decades and the centuries, our, our, our courts have, have gotten away from that. And you know, that's, that's one of the issues in this case is why um, and and under what standard, and, and you know, there's there's no uh, real underpinning there from a from a from an intellectual standpoint, and um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future. I you know I, I am somewhat troubled um, by schools punishing students for things they do off campus, particularly speech. But I think you can make an argument here that because it was about school, um, and specifically the cheerleading team that it, it, it may have a tendency to affect good order and discipline in the schools. but um, Yeah, maybe it does. I, you know, the hard thing is where do you draw the line on this? Right. And especially in today's world with cancel culture, and if someone off campus says something or they record something and post it on social media, or if they just post something on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, and it's not politically correct, uh, what's the degree of insult before the school is going to punish them in some way? And how how far do we let schools go with this? I, I'm concerned. At the same time, you know, this kid sh- shouldn't have done that. And um, seem to be some other methods you could have dealt with to enforce that, I think. But uh, I'm concerned with giving uh, local school systems too much power. Oh, absolutely. I know that last year in, in the Pitt County schools, uh, just before graduation, like literally in the few days leading up to graduation, a video came out. Uh, it actually had been put out earlier, but it came to light for students, three of whom were seniors graduating from uh, the flagship high school, one of whom was a junior in a car. Somebody had a camera from their phone on the dashboard, and they said one, two, three, and then uttered um, a racial epithet. One of the kids was actually um, African American, um, and and that's it. That's all they did. You know, they didn't they didn't uh, it didn't go any further. There was no further uh, recording or anything. It just one two three and said the word. And uh, the th- the three seniors were not allowed to walk at graduation. Um, and uh, two of whom, one of whom was uh, going to enroll at NC State, was not allowed to enroll until spring semester, you know, and that was, a, I guess, a local uh, case that generated some, some publicity about 
where does a school's ability to discipline things that would be disciplined if they happened at school, you know, where does it, where, where do you draw that line? And then this was, you know, they were in a car. It was not during school hours. There were lots of theories both ways. I've heard similar stories and I think it's very troubling. Uh, you know, the question can't be what the behavior is, but what's the authority of uh, the school to punish behavior that occurs off campus, which right. doesn't necessarily impact on the school. It's not like they are, they post something, I'm on my way to practice at such and such school, and this is what I think. That, that might be a different scenario. And it's not violent or things that would give us cause for safety concerns or those kinds of things. It's just something that violates or would violate a, a school rule if it were during school hours on school property, but, you know, it's not. And so where does the school draw the line? Where does the, where does the court draw the line for the schools? But one thing you can say is that the Supreme Court has had pretty substantial majorities for decisions that have been released here as they approach the end of the term. They have, and that's interesting. And and you wonder, <laughs> is that because they're reading the tea leaves with regard to the uh, the idea that uh, the Biden uh, and Democrats have uh, about packing the court? Are they reading the tea leaves or are they sending a message to uh, the president and the Congress that uh, we're an independent uh, branch of government? Perhaps both. You know, and one of the issues, though, which might partially explain that, but the Roberts court, Chief Justice Roberts has always pushed for some type of consensus in the middle. And it seems like his priority is upholding the, I guess, the respect of the court, if that's a I don't know if that's the best way to phrase it, but sometimes he wants to uphold the uh, the court status instead An of image. taking a stand. Image, yeah. yeah. Taking instead um, of taking a stand on issues. Right. It's almost like he 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 thinks we're going to follow some course, even though most of us, maybe even he, do not believe that to be the correct course, but rather they don't want to get too far outside the the bell curve in terms of a decision that might cause consternation and thus open the court to criticism beyond that which it might otherwise, you know, uh, receive. You know, precedent is, has its value, but he, he seems to, to put a great deal of emphasis, and that's not necessarily our criticism, but just it seems to matter to him, as you said, the image of the court um, as, a, as an institution. Um, Seems seems to be uh, something that weighs heavily on him. And again, I'm not saying that's wrong, I, I, but uh, some other, you know, certainly the Warren court didn't didn't look at precedent that way. Um, and I don't think the Berger court did. Or Inquist, I'm satisfied, did not. But but Chief Justice Roberts does. So no one puts a schedule on the Supreme Court but themselves. Uh, normally they're done by the end of June, so we may have a week left, and I guess there are a few decisions still to be released. Um, now one update from last week, the uh, state of Texas is raising donations to build their wall, and they've raised almost $400,000 as of this morning. Yeah, I mean, donate. are they asking for donations? or? Yeah, they're asking for donations. I would assume $400,000 wouldn't build a whole lot of wall. Probably not. No, but <laughs> the state of Texas act. put up two hundred fifty million. You know, yeah, sy symbolic. 
the, the Major League Baseball rules with regard to pitchers and their sticky substances have kicked in. I don't know if you saw the, the video of several of the pitchers um, expressing their um, uh, disagreement. They take the umbrage at being asked to, uh, to, to being checked for illegal substances. One of them took his pants did. off. He did. That was um, was an A's pitcher, if I, I think, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Scherzer went kind of um, ballistic last night when Joe Girardi waited until Scherzer was kind of um, in a rhythm and then asked that he be checked, and uh, Scherzer was not pleased, not at all. Or to your knowledge, have they called anybody? Uh, no, I, not, to my knowledge, they have not. Um, I, I noticed, um, I, I, I guess it was... Perhaps Monday there was a, a video clip um, of a pitcher in the dugout prior to heading back out to the mound, and there he's taking a towel and cleaning off his hat, and I wondered what that was about. Uh, but to my knowledge, they've not caught anyone, certainly not in the big leagues. Interesting. That's We'll have to see what happens with that. I, I know there are a lot of people not happy. So uh, uh, cue the radar sound. What's on your radar for the next week? Well, um I guess a couple things. Uh, first, there was a there, there's a story out um, today in Human Events. Some some reporter went back to the WikiLeaks uh, stash of Hillary Clinton emails, and in 2009, she sent an email to the Five Eyes group plus some other nations who would be sort of aligned with us, even though they're not in that group letting them know that um, that uh, the the possibility was there for the Wuhan virus laboratory to be engaged in, in um, biological weapons research. And that was, of course, a couple of years before COVID ever broke. Right. That was 2009. And, of course, who was the vice president in 2009? Mm, that would have been Joe Biden, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought that was interesting. I'm sure that the mainstream media will will try its best to neglect that. Um, there, there was there's also the story that broke, I guess, last night by the New York Post with regard to uh, Hunter Biden's escapades at some Hollywood, I think it was Hollywood, but some hotel in California and services eight thousand dollars worth of a um, of a prostitute. And some issues with regard to his debit card, it not going through. And then after it did, then it went through all the times that he tried and they, it didn't go through. It kept going through and they ended up getting paid like 32 grand. So I guess four times they got paid that it shouldn't have or three times. And then there's some emails and text messages that were on his laptop with regard to that from Secret Service agents assigned to his father and had with with, you know, that that sort of thing where they're trying to intervene um, during this time. Um, and so the, 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 the I guess the, the innuendo is that something has happened somehow, somebody, his father or somebody that was close to his father, staff member or whatever, was aware that. Hunter was was in this uh, predicament with regard to his credit card. There's even speculation by the New York Post that perhaps his credit card, debit card, wouldn't work. Therefore, he had to use his father's. I and, of course, the, the question that the New York Post posed was, well, did Joe Biden unwittingly pay for Hunter Biden's escort service? Unwittingly is the key word there. 
that's that's somewhat interesting to me. Um, the the other thing that um, I don't think the mainstream media has picked up is that Hunter Biden is a full time artist, and he's selling his paintings through an unregistered um, uh, art dealer. Um, they're going for up to half a million dollars a piece, and of course that's a way to money launder. The Biden donor that can't donate directly to Biden who wants access or whatever can buy this art, which and I don't know anything about art, but these people that I that I read say it's it's you know it's middle school type stuff. You know they they don't really want it, but they want to be able to say they bought Biden art so that they can get access to the president. I think that's that's very interesting. I'm not sure how you ever stop something like that. You know, it's kind of like the Jim Wright book scandal from back in in 1987 where he wrote some half-assed, pardon my French, book to sell to people, uh, and it really wasn't a legitimate effort at writing a book. It was just a way to get money. Um, and then I think they sold it by the crate load to some union, as I recall, and, that's and right. he collected all that money. And, right. You know, also, if you want to talk about Hunter Biden, I heard, and I can't confirm this, but I heard it uh, just a couple of days ago, that he still has business interest in China. And, and, and you know, he, he promised and Joe promised that he would, oh, he would stop that. And, and, of course, he hasn't. Well, for my week, I'm going to watch what happens with the Red Sox. They beat the Rays last night in uh, the first of three games, and they have an upcoming series with the Yankees. So this could really shake up the standings over the next five days. And that series is in Fenway. And, and Chris Sale was actually throwing yesterday as he continued his comeback from Tommy John. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can contact us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. 